Walking around these walls I thought by now they'd fall But you have never failed me yet Waiting for change to come Knowing the battle's won For you have never failed me yet Your promise still stands Great is your faithfulness Your faithfulness I'm still in your hands This is my confidence You never failed me yet I know the night won't last Your word will come to pass My heart will sing your praise again Jesus, you're still enough Keep me within your love My heart will sing your praise again still stands Great is your faithfulness Your faithfulness I'm still in your hands This is my confidence You never fail Your promise still stands
darkness still stands Great is your faithfulness Your faithfulness I'm still in your hands This is my confidence You never knew Your promise still stands there it is. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us for our gathering here at Genesis. For those of you that are in the sanctuary here, it's good to have you back. And uh, boy, do we have a special morning plan for you here. We've got a great song coming up. We used it last week. I'm going to use it again this week and probably for a couple of weeks here and there until we just learn this song. It's, it's one of those that you want to get down inside of you, and it will take a while singing it for us to... Uh, have it become one of our, our norms, one of our usual songs that we use. So uh, I, just, I just love it. It's by Hillsong. They've released it from copyright. And so we know we'll be good in our Facebook feed. A couple of announcements to make you aware of is uh, our fa- we are live on Facebook for those friends that you might want to invite along. And the address is over my shoulder here. And uh, uh, oh, by the way, I dove right into this. And I know the slides right now are being sized or resized to accommodate picture in picture because I am a slacker because I missed that point this morning in setting some things up so that's being done don't let that uh, distract you but hopefully we have a slide here regarding our uh, live streaming you can catch us on our uh, Facebook page as well as the website so www.genesiscc.net homepage Watch us or watch here. Click on that link and you can go live with us there as well as our Facebook page. Be sure to share that around. Let your friends know and invite them to service. We'd like to encourage you to be part of our giving. Uh, Give in your tithes and your offerings uh, to Genesis if you don't already have a home church where you're giving and where you're committed. We'd love for you to get connected here. And of course, uh, if you're being fed, if you're being blessed by the messages here, we encourage you to be a part of supporting the ministry with your tithes and with your offerings. And thank you very much for all of you that have continued to give, for some new givers that have uh, uh, 
jumped in through this uh, COVID pandemic. We, we deeply appreciate your support. Uh, one of the means by which you can give, uh, in addition to going to the website and clicking on the donate button, is by texting. We have a dedicated phone number that is uniquely ours, and you text the word give to 720-730-8510, 720-730-8510, and you can, um, it will guide you through it, and you can give securely. It hits the bank um, quickly, and it's a great way to give. A lot, a lot of people have... Uh, our giving online, the vast majority of our income and of our donations are received online. And uh, percentages, uh, from what I read, have really gone that direction, especially now, of course, with the pandemic. So don't be afraid of that. I know some people, if they can't write the check in person and see it go in the plate, uh, they're hesitant. And uh, it, the, the giving today that can be done online or by texting is completely secure. So we have that worship song. In just a minute, I'm going to introduce our speaker. I am not speaking today, but somebody is that I am so excited to hear. And I've been looking forward to this now for two weeks. And he's going to be coming and sharing the word. I'll introduce him in just a minute. But first, let's worship with this great hill song, song called No One But You.
Oh, wow. Could we go ahead and turn the rest of those lights up, please? I'm going to wait just a second uh, while we get everything turned back up here. Jesus, I want to, I want to praise you. I want to thank you for walking with us through the fire. You didn't promise to deliver us from it and that we'd never go through it. You promised to be with us in the middle of it. And so right now, Lord, and especially, that's interesting, I wasn't even thinking about the fires in California and Oregon and here in California when, when I um, had that verse come to my thoughts. I was actually thinking about Daniel. I was thinking about the lion's den. I was thinking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the fourth man that walked through the fire. God never promised to take us out. He promised to go through, to never leave us or forsake us and to be with us and in us and walk with us. So I hope that's an encouragement to you and God have mercy on California and Oregon and Colorado and every place where we're battling these tremendous fires that are eating up uh, the landscape and destroying homes and buildings and businesses and even the loss of life that we have suffered in these various communities and cities. God, give us rain. God, hold back the fire. Please give us a stay from the winds that destroy and that sweep and that fan. We ask you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to introduce somebody to you that is very close to my heart, that I love dearly. And over, oh goodness, the past couple of months, he would, after service, come up to me and just begin to, you know, sort of regurgitate pieces of the service and uh, talk about elements, points that I had made, so on and so forth. And uh, it was so life-giving. I thought, man, this, this guy not only was listening, but, but he got his own revelation. And, and I thought, man, this is so good. Well, 
we were at lunch the other day together and he started doing the same thing. And I thought, man, he needs to preach this. He needs to share. <laughs> so I mentioned that. I said, you need to share. And he did not think, he did not say, well, let me pray about it. I mean, he was like, okay, <laughs> what date? And uh, I am so excited to introduce my son-in-law, Matt Whipple, to you, who's married to my daughter, Lisa. And he's going to come and share the word. In fact, he's starting a brand new series today called The Good News and the Gospel. So come, Matt. Okay, I'm on. Welcome, everybody. Uh, I'm really, really happy to be here and happy to be, um, have this honor to be able to speak. And thank you, Jeff, for trusting me with this. This is something that has been uh, kind of burning inside of me for a while. And, uh, you know, when something's burning inside of you, you've got to share it. Um, so welcome, everybody, on the live stream. I hope, uh, I hope you're able to join us for this whole time. Um, this is actually going to be two parts, I think, this week and next week. And who knows, maybe it'll even bloom into a third week. Who knows? <laughs> so uh, the series is called The Good News. Um, and uh, let's see what we've got up here. Oops. We're on the wrong slide and I don't have control yet. Okay. All right. Gospel. Okay. So um, I grew up in the church. Just I want to give you a little history of myself. Um, I grew up um, from my earliest age, Christian family. And I, um, uh, I, I remember being about four years old, and uh, we went, we were actually attending Jeff's church. Uh, for those of you who don't know this, um, I was, when I was a child, a uh, young, young child, I was, um, don't know if I lost all my volume. Am I still on? Okay. Um, my family went to Pastor Jeff's church. Pastor Jeff was my pastor as a, a young kid. And um, about four years old, I remember there was a, uh, a kind of a, a revival for, for kids, and there was a guy named Gospel Bill. Uh, Willie George and Gospel Bill, and they had puppets, and they, they had a child ministry. And I think some of you might remember this, especially if you were in part of that church. Um, hallelujah. Yeah, Jeffrey, you're raising your hand back there. Hallelujah. Gospel Bill, Willie George, uh, Nicodemus, and Barcamaeus. Um, and I was about four years old, and we went to this school next to our church, which was here in North Glen. And uh, I remember going up for the altar call at the end, and I gave my life to Christ, and I remember that as being the first day that I knew that I was a Christian. And I wanted to be a Christian, and I, I knew that this was my life. Um, and I don't have any big story about where I went off track, and I lost my Christianity, and I lost my way. Uh, I, went, I was in a private Christian school as a young child, then I was in homeschool. Uh, then I went to another private Christian school for high school, um, went to a Christian college, uh, and, and all the way through this, I never really lost my faith, um, and it's always been part of my life. And um, so going through all of those things, I want to talk a little bit about what I learned uh, and the Christianity that I believed in. Um, and I want to I be clear that I'm not, I'm not trying to trash any uh, denomination or any 
um, part of Christianity. I don't want to be critical of what other people believe, but I want to demonstrate through this week and what I'm going to talk about next week, the things that I believe, that I used to believe, um, and why I think that they're destructive and why I think that they're not accurate. Um, So, we'll jump into the next part. Um, Gospel, the word gospel comes from Old English. Um, The two words are God, I think it's a G with a line over the, uh, O with a line over the top and D. So I think it's either God or God, something along those lines. Um, I'm no expert in, in old languages. But, um, and then spell, which means news, good news um, or good story. And this is what I was raised as. If, if anybody said gospel, uh, it meant that was the good news, right? Um, but is this really good news? And I want to talk about what I learned growing up and just how it impacted me. And I think it impacts a lot of people the same way. So um, the first thing is God loves you unconditionally. And I heard this all growing up um, from the very, very early, earliest ages in my life. God loves you unconditionally. But also immediately following this in some cases, there would be these other conditions. But if you sin, then you have to repent and ask for forgiveness, or you will be out of favor, out of God's favor. You could lose your salvation, and you may go to hell um, if, you, if you continue sinning, right? God loves you unconditionally, but if you sin, you have to follow this procedure, or it's going to destroy your life, and you're going to die and go to hell. Um, I have a distinct memory. I was in a car accident when I was um, 22 years old, and... It almost killed me. I was uh, driving down the road. I was not the driver. I was the passenger, and I was not wearing a seatbelt. We were on a dirt road. We had been four-wheeling up in the mountains with a friend, and uh, the friend started doing a little bit of hot-dogging on the road, uh, weaving back and forth. And if you know anything about driving on dirt roads, that's a bad idea. And the car rolled, and I was ejected from the vehicle, uh, launched and landed. I broke my back in 12 places. uh, they did CPR on me, broke a whole bunch of my ribs and my sternum. I still have like a, a weird sternum from this. And I woke up, they, they actually put me into a coma because uh, I had bleeding on my brain and I had, my lung was filled with uh, fluid. And I was trying to fight the paramedics, so they, they put me in a medically induced coma. Um, this was after they resuscitated me. I would have definitely died if they hadn't done CPR. Uh, and I was airlifted to uh, Poudre Valley Hospital, and I woke up three days later, and I had a tube in my, my lungs through the side, and I was in bad shape. And uh, someone came to me while I was in the hospital, still on morphine and recovering, and they said, we need to figure out what you did in your life that caused you to fall out of favor with God and make this happen. And uh, <laughs> that's not what I needed to hear. Um, that was really damaging to me because it, it made me feel like, you know, I'm starting to search back through all the things I've done, starting to think about, well, did I screw up? Did I fall out of God's favor? Um, my dad told a similar story. My sister, uh, when we were very young, um, some of the neighbor boys were playing with gasoline, and my sister caught on fire, and she burned very badly. And uh, it's a very similar situation. She was flown to the hospital. Uh, she had a lot of burn scars, and she was, um, it was very difficult. And someone from the church came and talked to my dad and said, 
what in your life has caused this to happen? Why did you fall out of favor with God? What, is, what sin allowed this to happen? And I think this is something that's more prevalent than we're willing to admit, that we think things in our life allow us to be out of God's favor, and that's why bad things happen. Um, I think we all know that bad things happen. Um, whether you're in God's favor <laughs> or whether you believe you're in God's favor or not. So I'll go ahead and move on. The next one is... Um, <sighs> not there yet. Okay. You are saved by grace alone. Dot, dot, dot. But if there is no fruit in your life, uh, then you were never saved. Uh, I heard this a lot. You would see someone come to salvation, they would say the, the prayer, they would be a Christian, and then uh, a few years later, you know, they're doing their thing, their own thing, they're not coming to church anymore, and you're like, oh, they were never saved. That person really never said the prayer right, or they didn't do the right thing. Um, there's another one here. Um, I'm weak, and nothing I can do will earn my way to God. And so that's, that's a pretty common thing to say, and I think that most of us believe that, that on our own strength, we could never earn our way to God. Nothing in that is, is uh, intuitively wrong. But um, what comes out of that is also, but I need to stop sinning or God will turn his back on me. And this is kind of similar to the first thing. Um, if, you keep, if you continue in sin, that eventually uh, God gets sick of your sin and he'll turn his back on you. Uh, and this puts you between a rock and a hard place because in one sense, you're not able to conquer your sin on your own. We all kind of admit that, like this isn't something I can deal with on my own. I can't perfect myself. But after I'm saved, now I have to get all of the sin out of my life or God's going to turn his back on me. Um, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And this is something that I hear all the time in Christianity. It's something that's in almost all of the songs that we sing, the love of God. He, nothing can separate you from the love of God, right? But what, the, what do we also say? Our, kin, our, our sin keeps us from being close to God. This is something that, man, this tormented me all the way through my teen years, uh, through my 20s, my 30s. And I believed that if I could get rid of the things in my life that... Um, I would be closer to God. I would have a better relationship and a better walk with God. And I thought, I know I'm saved. I'm not worried about my salvation. I know that God loves me. But the things in my life that I'm doing wrong, the things in my life that are damaging other people, that are damaging myself, those things are keeping me from being close to God. And when you have this perspective, there is a burden on you. You constantly feel like you can't go to God until the things in your life are fixed or until you have groveled and asked God to, to forgive you for those things. Okay, God forgave me for those things. Now I can go and talk to God. One more. Um, God is not willing that any should perish. There we go. Okay. God is not willing that any should perish. And this is one that we have, uh, I think, pretty regularly. But if you don't say the prayer, believe in Jesus as the Son of God, and turn from your wicked ways, then you will perish. So basically here we're saying we don't, God, God is not willing that anyone should perish, but 
you're going to perish if you don't do all the right things. And all of the things that I've mentioned here, I grew up with them. Uh, they, I, even as recently as a few months ago, I was uh, at an event at a different church, and I, there was a guest speaker, and the guest speaker came and talked, and the guest speaker said um, this really great message, and I, I really was impacted by the message. Immediately after the guest speaker was done, the pastor got up on the stage and basically gave the call, right? Said, um, if you are not walking right with God, he's going to turn his back on you. You are going to lose your salvation. You are in danger of hell. And I just thought, like, that thing that he said completely wiped out everything that the guest speaker talked about. And it becomes the focus of our religion. It comes, becomes the focus of our relationship with God is the things in our life and what we need to do to get rid of those so that we can be right with God. And I, uh, I want to talk about motivation just for a second before I transition into the next part. But first, I'll summarize what my gospel was. Uh, and this is something that I, I was very, let's see, Okay, it's coming. Uh, the screen, the, the slides are coming back, so just give it a second. Um, there it is. All right. Um, so this was what I believed growing up, and this is how I, uh, this is what motivated me when I talked with people uh, about Jesus and about religion and about faith. Um, number one. Convince people that sin in their life is separating them from God. Inform them that if they continued in sin, that they were going to hell when they died. So, step one, you have sin in your life, it's separating you from God. Step two, inform them that they're going to go to hell because of that. Here's the good news. This is the gospel as I believed it growing up. Jesus died for the... Uh, Jesus died that all you have to do is say a prayer of confession and repentance so that you will go to heaven. Okay, so that's the good news. You can just, all you got to do is say the prayer of confession and um, repentance. And then finally, hope that they can turn their life around um, and stop sinning so that uh, they won't backslide. Backslide, uh, that's a, that was a big, big buzzword in uh, Christianity all growing up. This person backslid, right? Uh, that person backslid. I can remember um, very distinctly from being about five, six years old, there was a guy that came to our church, um, and it was, not, it was not Jeff's church at that time, so maybe I was older. Maybe I was uh, seven or eight. Um, and there was a person that came to our church, uh, and they brought a friend with, and this friend was a biker dude. And the biker dude had tattoos all over and very like long hair, big mustache hanging down and he was hardcore. And I remember thinking that guy doesn't match everyone else in the church. You know, as a young kid, I could immediately see he stands out, right? And uh, so after a couple of weeks, this guy coming as a visitor, um, he wanted to give his life to Christ. And he gave a testimony in front of everybody and said that he had been doing lots of drugs, that he had been violent, um, that part of his lifestyle was just, you know, fighting people, and he wanted to give all that up, and he wanted to become a Christian. He wanted to stop doing drugs and drinking alcohol. Um, 
and great rejoicing in all of the church. And so a few weeks after that, we had a baptism. Uh, this was in a, a community college where our church was meeting. And so uh, there was a pool there. So we all went and we, this guy was baptized. And I remember, um, I think on the way home from there, uh, we, uh, our family was talking about how great this was. And one of my parents, I don't remember which, said something about, well, I hope he can hold on. I hope he can, I hope he can uh, make the changes in his life that he needs to because that's important and we don't want him to backslide. And that, was my, that formed my opinion about what Christianity was. That formed my opinion about what God was and how he dealt with people who didn't get rid of sin in their life. Um, the result of this is uh, the result for other people. Okay. Uh, the result for other people is... There we go. <laughs> it creates shame and guilt. Um, we've all experienced this. I think everybody has experienced shame and guilt uh, because of the way that they live their life um, and, and, and then comparing it to what we, ex we think God's expectations of us are. Also, uh, it causes them to resent religion, and we see this all the time. Um, if, you're, if you're scrolling through Facebook, you see a lot of comments about religion. Um, I have a lot of friends who are very decidedly not Christian. Um, and a lot of it is because they see this as um, something that doesn't bring life. And everything that we're taught about Christianity is it's supposed to bring life. It's supposed to bring freedom, right? But people, when I talk to people who are not Christians about Christianity, their impression of Christianity is that's a shackle right? I'm, 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 I'm going into bondage if I'm, if I'm becoming a Christian. I have to live a certain way. I have to do a certain thing. Um, and they start to resent religion. Uh, they do not feel the love of God. And this is, a, this is a really important one because I think for a lot of my life, I didn't feel the love of God. I was a Christian. I, from my earliest memories, I was a Christian. And most of my life, I didn't feel the love of God. I felt shame and I felt fear. Um, and I felt pressure to change myself, always, always. I'm 43 years old. Actually, I will be this weekend, 43 years old. And for almost my entire life, I have felt shame and I have felt pressure to change who I am so that I can be in a good relationship with God. Um, I, I want to talk real quick about something that I read. Actually, I didn't read it. I, I travel a lot in my car, so I, I listen to it on book by tape, which is fantastic because um, uh, I don't often take time to sit down and read, but uh, I can still enjoy the benefits. Uh, there was a book um, that I read about what motivates people. It's called Emotional Success, and it is by an author named David DeSteno. It's a really good read. Uh, actually, let me, let me clarify that. I'm nerdy, so I, I enjoyed it. But there's a lot of technical stuff. They do a lot of research study, um, and they describe all of these research studies and how they set up um, the variables and how they set up the parameters and all the control factors in the, in the, in the studies. I liked it because I, I nerd out on things like that. Um, but what they were studying is what motivates people. And when they interview people, they found that what people think motivates people the most what we assume will motivate people the best uh, are these things. Fear. See this in the news, right? The news is constantly trying to motivate you with fear. Um, posts that you read in social media are loaded with fear. 
things are, they're trying to motivate you um, because fear grabs you, right? It is a, it's a powerful emotion. But the research shows that fear is not a lasting motivator. It only motivates you temporarily because it's just until that emotion is gone and it's gone. Uh, guilt. Uh, I've talked basically about all of the things that I knew in Christianity growing up. Many of those things produced guilt. And it's a motivator, right? Um, but it's not a lasting motivator as they found in this research study. Uh, grit and determination. This is one that we put a lot of emphasis on in our culture. We just say, if you just bear down, you can do it. Uh, and this is something that we, we try in Christianity, right? I'm just going to stop doing that. I'm just going to, I'm determined. What they found about grit is that there is only so much of it that you have, that you actually have a, like a grit tank. And some people have more grit tank than others, but you deplete it and eventually it runs out. Um, and this is kind of one of the main points of the book is just kind of dispelling this myth that grit is a powerful tool to create success in your life. Now, what they found actually motivates people uh, is, number one, gratitude. Gratitude not only motivates you, but it's contagious. So when you are grateful for the things in your life, it gives you strength to make hard decisions. Um, they did all kinds of research studies on this where they had two people and they would, one of them they would set up with uh, a bad situation and one of them they would set up with a bad situation, but then they would change the situation on them and so they would feel great. Oh, whew, didn't have to go through that bad situation. And then that person had substantially more motivation than the person who had to go through the tough situation. Uh, gratitude is a great motivator. Um, compassion. Compassion is one as well. So when you start to think about other people and you start to think, um, empathize with other people and sympathize with other people, that is one of the greatest motivators as well. And you think about, in Christianity, do we have compassion on people? Or do we tend to judge people? Or do we tend to decide whether a person is making the right decision or the wrong decision and then frown upon that secretly? Um... And then finally, this is an interesting one, pride. Uh, pride, isn't that one of the seven deadly sins? No, it's not. Hubris. There's a difference between hubris and pride. Uh, pride is, is something that you can feel that is a positive emotion. Uh, it is when you add arrogance or um, some sort of self-reflection and say, I am better than someone else that it becomes hubris. Uh, and hubris is a sin. It's different than pride. You can have pride in your children, and there is nothing wrong with that. Uh, I have lots of pride in my children. Um, and so pride is a great motivator. And you can be proud of some things that you do. And, and when you start to be proud of the things that you do, it shows that you are... Um, the, the research study shows that it, it motivates you to do um, great things. Okay. So I want to transition now to what I believe currently. Um, this has changed my outlook on Christianity, and it's changed my outlook on life. It changes how I view other people and how I treat other people. Uh, and I think that's the most powerful part of this. Uh, for me, being a Christian, before I came to understand in this way... Um, I don't think I was doing anything wrong. I don't think that as far as I'm concerned, 
still think that I'm good with God. I still had a relationship with God. I was still walking and talking with God. And he was still working in my life. Um, but I think the real impact of what I formerly believed is how it manifests in my life, how my Christianity was portrayed to other people, and how I felt internally towards other people. Um, so I want to transition, and I just kind of as a sneak peek to next week, next week I want to go into more of that part of it. Um, but for now I want to talk about more about why I believe this is, um, believe what I believe now. First, I want to clarify, um, and all of the things that I said previously, I am not trying to justify. There, oh, there we go. Yep. Okay. So, in all of the things I said previously, I am not trying to justify. There we go. Sin, and that sin is just fine and dandy in your life. Sin is destructive. And we see this all the time. We see this in our lives. We see it in the lives of our friends and our family. We see it in the lives of other people. We see it all across the world that sin is destructive. When you have things in your life that are what we would consider sin, the reason, in my belief, uh, that they are considered sin is because they're destructive. I don't think that they're destructive because they're sins I think they're sins because they're destructive. Um, and that's an important distinction. God didn't decide that these were sins and then they're destructive. He decided that they're sins because of what they do in people's lives. So I want to clarify that I am not trying to say sin is no big deal, don't worry about it. Um, but I want, to, I want to take you through a different perspective on it. Sin is destructive, however... Elimination of sin from your life is not a condition of salvation, nor of walking with God. And that is the crux of everything that changed in me. Um, letting go of my need to eliminate sin from my life has freed up my relationship with God. It has freed up my, my perspective on what Christianity is and what it can be to the world. And it turned it into good news. I want to support this with the first verse here. Um, Hebrews 10, 11, and 12. Day after day, every priest stands to minister and offer again and again the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, obviously Jesus, because it's in all caps, well, it's in capital, uh, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. All time. One sacrifice. That means for the sins I committed already, the sins I committed today that I may be committing right now, and the sins that I'm going to commit in the future. All of them. For all time. And then he sat down. You don't sit down at the right hand of God unless you're done with what you're doing, right? And so if you look at this verse and you say, when I become saved, when I say the prayer and I confess that Jesus is Lord um, and the Son of God and I come into relationship with God, did anything change? 
was anything different before that. Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus completed what he was going to do for all time, and he sat down at the right hand of God. He said it was finished. It's finished. Nothing else needs to happen. This continues in verse 13. Since that time, since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made a footstool for his feet. And I'll come back to that. Because by a single offering, he has made perfect. There we go. By a single offering, he has made perfect for all time those who are being sanctified. A single offering for all time. He has made perfect. You're already perfect. You are already perfect. You're still being sanctified. I feel that in my life, right? Those who are being sanctified. Um, now, I want to go back to the footstool. Growing up, I thought the footstool, I thought the enemies of God were humans. I thought that it was people who didn't believe Christianity. It was people who were opposed to Christianity, people who believed other religions, or people who were atheists, people who didn't believe what I believed, people who supported um, political issues that I didn't believe in. Those were the enemies of God, right? Because what I believed was right, of course, and what everyone else believed was wrong. And if you believe what's wrong, then you're the enemy of God, and you're going to become God's footstool. I think I misread that, or I ignored the verse after it, because the verse after it says this, by a single offering, he has made perfect for all time those who are being sanctified. Now, if you are not being sanctified, what then? Are you part of this group? I believe so because I believe God is sanctifying everyone. Whether they believe in God or not, I believe He is walking with everyone whether they want it or not. I believe that things happen in your life for a purpose whether you know God and whether you believe God or not. And God didn't wait for you. Here we go. It's not working. God didn't wait for us to act. Um, Romans 5.9 says this. And there is still much more to say of his unfailing love for us. For through the blood of Jesus, we have heard the powerful declaration, you are now righteous in my sight. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never experience the wrath of God. you will never experience the wrath of God. That means no backsliding. Backsliding isn't a thing. You will never experience the wrath of God, not because you said the prayer, not because you eliminated sin from your life, not because you confessed all your sins and asked for forgiveness, but because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Through the blood of Christ, you are now righteous in my sight, not because of anything you did, but because of the blood of Christ. 
And um, this continues, verse 10. So if while we were still enemies of God, so if while we were still enemies, God fully reconciled us to himself through the death of his son, while we were still enemies, so before we said a prayer, before we changed our life, before we decided to be a Christian, as opposed to any other religion, before any of that happened, God fully reconciled us to himself through the blood of his son, through the death of his son. I'm not reading in here anywhere where you have to do anything. I'm not seeing in here anywhere where you have to say a prayer, live a certain way, eliminate sin from your life, and don't backslide. And it continues. Then something greater than friendship is ours. Now that we are at peace with God, and because we share in his resurrection life, how much more will we be rescued from sin's domination? Which came first? Eliminating sin from our life or being saved? God made us pure, and then we will be rescued from sin's domination in our life. Not get rid of sin in your life, and then God will make you pure. It's the other way around. And so this gives me incredible hope because I now don't have to worry about the things that are going on in my life. And, and I think the key here is being rescued from sin's domination. I'm not having to do anything, right? If I'm drowning in the water and I'm rescued, I did not do anything to get out of there. Someone threw a, a life raft around me and I climbed on and they pulled me ashore. It's not something I did. I was rescued. Rescued from sin's domination does not require that I save myself, that I rescue myself, or that I do the steps to get rid of sin in my life. And this is something that I've experienced um, intensely over and over and over again. Uh, there are things that have been in my life uh, since early, early ages, sins in my life that I thought I could never get rid of, and that through circumstances in my life, God took me through things that got rid of those things in my life. And he's doing that. We are being sanctified. God is working in our lives. And it doesn't require our grit. It doesn't require our own motivation. All it requires is us letting God do things in our life. Acknowledge that he's there. Let him work in you, and he will. I see this, uh, I've even seen this over the past few months. Uh, it's no, it's no uh, secret to m most of the people who know me. I've had a hard time working from home. I do not like <laughs> uh, work from home. I do not like COVID. I miss my job. I miss traveling. I miss seeing people and talking to them uh, and teaching. I miss all of those things. Uh, and I allowed that to, to create kind of a very negative attitude inside me. And it started to affect everything. It started to affect, affect my relationships at work. It started to affect how I enjoyed my work, right? Um, and I started to become toxic. And you could say that um, those things are sins, right? I started to think negatively. I started to talk negatively about my work. Um, 
and how things were being handled at my work. And those things started to like create a negative space in my life. And God worked me through that, showed me where I was going off track. And it's not because I just decided I'm going to do this. I have grit and I'm going to power through this and change. Um, I believe God is showing me things, and I believe that he's showing you things every day in your life as well. So we're going to wrap it up pretty quick here. Uh, The next thing is... Okay, free gift. All right. Now, I, I thought about wrapping a present to do a little analogy here, um, but I think I can just tell a story, uh, and, 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 and you'll all understand what I'm going, getting at here. Uh, so you've all probably had this before where you are on social media or you're doing something, or you get an email and say, there's a free gift click on this link, and you click on the link, and uh, here's your free gift. Now, all I need from you is your email address, your phone number, your address, and I need you to forward this to 10 of your contacts, right? Is that a free gift? No, that's not a free gift. <laughs> and I feel like this is, this is what we say is the free gift of, of God, right? Christianity, the free gift of God. Here it is, salvation. You don't have to go to hell. Um, but we need you to say the prayer, um, confess all your sins daily, um, live your life this way and change, and also tell 10 of your friends, um, or you're not being a good Christian. And, uh, I think we have missed the magnitude of, of what this free gift is. It doesn't require anything of you. It's actually a free gift. This is Romans uh, 5.17, a little bit later on in the the same passage. And and by the way, Romans 5, all of Romans 5, all of Hebrews 10, those are both fabulous um, verses, just reading all the way through. I kind of picked some of the verses that kind of hit the main things that I'm I'm pointing at today, but really, really powerful, both of them. So, here's what Romans 5.17 says. Oops, where'd it go? Oh, there it is. 5.17. Death once held us in its grip, and by the blunder of one man, death reigned as king over humanity. But now, how much more will, are we held in the grip of grace? In the grip of Grace. I always thought I was holding on to grace. I always thought I was the one gripping grace. I was doing everything I could to hold on to grace. I was changing things in my life. I was praying. I was tormenting myself. Something, something occurred to me um, when I was, I was writing all of this. Uh, when I was young, I was very judgmental of other religions, uh, particularly people who were Catholic. Uh, because I heard things about Catholicism like uh, they would whip themselves with that whip thing. Uh, They would crawl on their knees, hands and knees, over uh, miles and miles to show their um, remorse for sins, and they would earn penance, right? 
or they had to do uh, rosemary, uh, is that what it's called? Rosary, <laughs> sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, the rosary, right? And, and with all these uh, very religious things that they would do uh, that, that I was judgmental of, I would just say, oh, they, they don't have to do all those things. But at the very same time, I was whipping myself mentally and emotionally every day. Hated myself because I couldn't conquer my own sin. Hated who I was. Hated that I wasn't strong enough to become something better. And I didn't trust that God would help me. I didn't trust in God's timing and His process. I wanted to change now. I wanted to change today. I was very impatient. And I was gripping grace. I was holding on to grace. I believe that if I work really hard and hold on to grace, I can do this. I can become something better for God. God will then be pleased with me, and I will then have a good relationship and be able to walk with God. And it never occurred to me that grace was already gripping me before I was born, before I ever existed. Grace was gripping me. Grace held... uh, How much more are we held in the grip of grace and continue to reign as kings in life, enjoying the regal freedom through the gift of perfect righteousness. Again, the word gift. It is a gift of, purchase, uh, of perfect righteousness. We didn't do anything for it. We didn't have to put our email and our phone number and our address and give 10 friends email addresses too. And then finally, the, the gift of perfect righteousness in the one and only Jesus, the Messiah. It's a gift. We don't have to do anything to get it. We are gripped by grace. We don't have to hold on to grace. We don't have to hold on to our salvation. It's holding on to us. And I want to close with this. Everyone gets a trophy. I was talking with someone that I'm very close with that I have known for many years. We grew up in the same uh, religious structure. We grew up with the same message and many times went to the same churches. Uh, And I was talking to them about this and about the revelation that I've kind of been coming to over the last couple of years. much of uh, while listening to Pastor Jeff's sermons. And I was talking to them about it, and they said, and I'm sorry, I just can't believe that. And I said, well, why not? And they said, I'm just not on board with everybody gets a trophy. And I didn't argue. I just sat and I thought about it. And I just let the conversation end there, and I, I, I kind of mulled over that for the next few days. Everyone gets a trophy. And the implication of that, I think that that is what our church in America believes today, that not everyone gets a trophy, that you have to be part of the church, that you have to say the prayer the right way, that you have to continue to go to church and to change your life from the inside out, or you are not part of the club and you don't get a trophy. I remember being very young and thinking how unfair it was that there were people that on their deathbed could say the salvation prayer and still go to heaven. I thought that was so unfair because I'm already, at 10 years old, I'm already a good Christian. I already pray and I already go to Sunday school and I'm doing all of these things and sacrificing. And as a teenager, I don't drink alcohol and I don't do drugs. 
and I don't sleep around. And it's not fair that all those other people that get to do all that their whole life and then say the prayer on their deathbed, they get to go to heaven. That bothered me because I thought I was earning it. Turns out I wasn't. I was not earning anything. I was already gifted that. I was gifted salvation, just like every one of you is gifted salvation. It doesn't matter who you are or where you are or what you've done in your life. This gift is already yours. And we have this mentality in America that we don't want people to have a trophy if they didn't do all the work that we did, if they didn't follow the path that we told them they should. Everyone gets a trophy. All right. Tell me when the verse is up. Okay. This is from 1 Timothy 2.5. For God is one, and there is one mediator between God and the sons of men, the true man, Jesus, the anointed one. He gave himself as a ransom payment for everyone. Everyone gets a trophy. Now, I know what this feels like because I started to feel this way when I first started thinking on this, on this level. It feels like it would be easy for people to just live their life whatever way they want and say, cool, I get a trophy. But God's not worried about that because God knows how to reach you. He knows how to work in your life. And if you're willing to just listen to that voice in your head, that sometimes you feel like you're just talking to yourself, but God is working in your life. And when you believe that, I don't have to worry anymore about what that person is doing and that person is doing, and is that person worthy of being a Christian? And next week, I want to spend the sermon talking about how this changes what my mission is as a Christian to other people. It completely changes it. And everybody gets a trophy. That's something I can get behind and say, that's good news. That is the gospel. Because no one had to earn it. And if I had to earn it, I couldn't. And there's no difference between me and anyone else. Even though I started when I was four years old and I can say I did all of the right things growing up and I never strayed and I never backslid, doesn't matter. Because it was never about what I did. It was always about my relationship with God and Him pulling me towards Him. And that's what, the whole life, that's what our whole life is about. There is nothing else that's important. Once you start walking with God, the rest of the details take care of themselves. And you can't hide from that. You can't, you can't walk with God and not start to feel the pull of Him in your life. And so I'm not worried about whether people are going to get rid of sin in their life, whether they are a, a good Christian or not because God wants to talk and walk with everybody. He wants to be part of your life. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for 
this opportunity, and uh, I thank you for revelation in my life. I know that what I believed 20 years ago isn't what I believed 10 years ago, and what I believed 10 years ago isn't what I believe today. And I know that I'm continually growing, and I don't have all the answers. But I thank you for showing me that I am yours, that I am in the grip of grace, and that you love me no matter what, and you want to walk with me and know me. Amen. So, I don't know what the formalities are of wrapping up. Do you want to? Oh, right. wait for next week I can tell you that I think that's the passion translation that you're reading from isn't it yeah do yourself a favor and get the passion translation or plug into one of the good internet Bibles because it, it's available there two things really stuck out to me there in verse 9 you will never experience the wrath of God never just not a question anymore. You will never experience the wrath of God. And then the grip of grace. Uh, that deserves a banner. That should be a bumper sticker. Uh, we just need to do something with that. Man, that's powerful. Matt, thank you. You're welcome. And again, next week, uh, I would not miss. I, I really believe the word that's been brought today. It, it's the word of God just brought alive in, in a way and I think what part of what makes it so powerful is you've been living this. You've lived and experienced this and come through it. And, and you and I know people that could really benefit from this message. I'm going to ask all of you this week to intentionally think of someone that you can pass this recording to, that you can send the link all right, the Facebook Live recording or the church link or afterwards we take all of the messages are put up on the website and are available to you uh, in weeks to come for you to listen to or review. This really deserves uh, to be shared and I encourage you to do that. We're going to circle back around and play the uh, song that we shared with you a little bit earlier shout out to Hillsong by the way just a, a just I'm so delighted shout out to Hillsong in Australia for releasing several of their great worship songs uh, to be live streamed without copyright issues and law so we're going to play that song again and as you just reflect on the powerful words in the song and the word of God that Matt has brought us, I, I pray that you will find yourself this week in the grip of grace. God bless you. We'll see you next week.
Jesus is here. 